meditation, 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 depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice calm. Can't think of anything. This is meditation in the city. The Shambhala New York podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is Holding Your Seat in the Face of Aggression. Following the war in Ukraine as Shambhalians and as Buddhists, we are faced with questions. Where is basic goodness in the context of unprovoked war? How do we join heaven and earth, or meet aggression with wisdom and courage? How can we communicate with people who possess the opposite perspective on the other side of the front lines? In this episode, we try to raise our head and shoulders and look at this together. Today we are joined by Vegan Aharonian. Vegan began studying Shambhala Buddhism in 1996 and started teaching in 2007. In addition to teaching regularly in New York City, Vegan also teaches and mentors the Shambhala group in Russia. He's a member of the Governing Council for the New York Shambhala Center and a co-director of the Practice and Education Committee. Here's Vegan to take away the discussion. So when this war started and progressed, uh, we as Shambhalians probably asked us, I did, I'm sure a lot of us did, ask ourselves how... How to reconcile what's the reality there and our teachings? How do you apply the teachings if you are in the midst of this? So I often visualize, I'm pretty sure all of us do, what if I was woken up at 4 a.m. with the sirens which means that there are rockets flying towards the city and you don't know where will they land. And it happens night after night after night. What the Shambhali warrior thinks, does, feels. What if you have to uh, dig out of a rubble badly injured person? How do you hold your Shambhala view? What if you are that injured person? What if you are the person with a javelin watching a tank passing by? Do you think at that point that once I click this button or whatever, there are four people there who will burn alive and they have parents? spouses, maybe children, friends? Or do you think that if I don't hit this button, they will kill me or somebody else? Those are tough questions. And if we think of uh, teachings on basic goodness, which say that uh, everybody has a heart, everybody has a mind, everybody is kind to others in some circumstances. Everybody has ability to look up at the sky and feel free and feel how they mi- their mind is bigger than the petty mind that they experienced a second ago. We believe everybody has that potential, everybody experiences that, everybody has that basic goodness, potentiality to wake up. We also talk about enlightened society in Shambhala teachings, which is about feeling interconnected realizing that we're all interdependent and when you cause harm that harm will come and hit you back in some form later 
that we realize that happiness at somebody else's expense is short-lived. So how does what happens in Ukraine sync with what happens with uh, with notion of enlightened society? And then, given these concepts, these ideas, this understanding, is it okay to uh, be aggressive in some circumstances, apply violence? Chogyam Trungpa actually, fortunately, um, gave us an example we can all um, think of. And many of you probably know what I'm going to recall now. He, he said that, um, imagine you are standing in front of somebody who is about to push a nuclear button, a button that will release nuclear weapons that will destroy the other side and the other side will destroy your side. And you have a, a gun, you can shoot that person. And that's your only option to stop. Either you shoot them or they will push the button. No other choices. And so the answer from Chogyam Trungpa that definitely you should stop the bigger harm by causing smaller harm when it's so obvious and so clear. So we have that extreme circumstance when it is compassionate action to kill a person in order to free a lot more. And then we have most life situations when uh, uh, aggression is not helpful. And so somewhere in between, there is a state when you uh, know that the only way out is to apply aggression. And pushing the button of that javelin is the only or the most appropriate in the given situation action. Uh, people are dying. If we remember uh, teachings on karma, I'm trying to piece together different pieces of Buddhism that we can um, try to contemplate in order to get the picture. So if we address the teachings on karma, we can think of that everything that happens is a fruition of karmic causes and conditions. They come to fruition and things happen, circumstances happen. We also know that um, uh, consciousness, once the eight consciousness leaves the body, it uh, reincarnates in some other form. And so from that bigger view perspective, uh, we change from body to body, and each in each body we live certain amount of time and live through the karmic causes and con conditions for that lifetime. And you can looking at that from that bigger perspective, you can think, no big deal. We people are born, people people die, sooner or later. It happens naturally. Who am I to? change the cause of history. But again, we have hearts, we have, uh, we see the suffering on one hand, we can theoretically disconnect and think of karmic big picture and make no big deal. What's the, I don't have the answers by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it just things that cross my mind and I thought it's worth bringing up and discussing together. I hope we'll have a rich discussion after I express what I think. So there is another interesting concept, spiritual bypassing or idiot compassion, a related concept. So spiritual bypassing is a subtler thing. It's when we are using our spiritual views to uh, pretend nothing really happens. It's not no big deal. I don't have to uh, 
I don't have a responsibility here. I'm just a good meditator and I observe reality pass by. So in that, uh, with that, is pushing the button of the javelin and not thinking of the suffering that will cause, that little instance will cause, is that spiritual bypassing? Is it a proper reality? Do you think at that moment about the suffering you are causing right this instance or you just do your job? I would think, ideally speaking, if you can think of having holding the picture that this is a war and I have to do this. This is the only way to stop further violence, further suffering. That's the big picture in the back of your mind. And then you realize that everything that happens is suffering here. And then while you even kill people, you do it ideally without sense of anger and frustration. If that, I don't know if it's even possible, we can theorize here and I have no idea how I would behave if I was there. We can um, analyze how did we get here. We can think of here, I mean, in the war situation. Um, we can think of habitual thinking and habitual views and fears that brought people to decisions they made, the misunderstanding they have, propaganda they hear, the upbringing they had, or the dreams that the Soviet Union was a good thing and it has to brought back whatever you can you can analyze and it's probably useful to do at some point to understand how the minds of the people worked on both sides to come to the to the war to the aggression um, i'm referring to cocoon how the cocoon works our cocoon their cocoon our common cocoon We are taught that the most important moment is the current moment. Whatever happens right now possesses everything we really need, contains everything we really need. And at the moment when a person is in a war situation, in all those scenarios you can think of, uh, we have feelings, right? Different feelings. Fear, panic, anger, frustration, aggression, fierce aggression. We're taught that the best thing we can do is not to ignore the feeling you have right now. The real Shambhala warrior, trained Shambhala warrior, good Shambhala warrior, warrior in training, would try to just feel what you're feeling right now, be present with your experiencing, and let go of the story about the cocoon and who is guilty and how are you going to take revenge. Just be present with what you have right now, what you feel right now. Easier said than done, of course. But that's the practice of fearlessness, being willing to experience the fear in all these forms of anger, aggression, so forth, fear, frustration, hopelessness. The samurai culture is also had that ideal that when you are facing the enemy, I think Chogyam Prungpa had that example at some point. You splitting the enemy in half is what the samurai action is, the proper samurai action is. That goes in sync with that example of the nuclear button. Uh, 
course, there is a parable I really like and I very frequently use and I think of it these days as well. Again, probably many of you know it, but I'll tell the story. So this is a village in the mountains. Um, and there is an old man with a son. And they, and they are very poor. They have an old horse. And uh, someday uh, the horse is gone. It's, it's, it walks away somewhere. It's lost. And so that the son comes home and says, frustrated, our horse is lost. Where is it? Let's go look for it. He's in frustration, fear, panic. And the father says, all right, let's go try to find it. So they walk around in the, in the trails around their village. They don't find the horse. The son is running back and forth in panic. And the father is very calm. They didn't find the horse. They came home. A couple of days later, neighbors run in and say, oh, you are so lucky. Your horse is there in the meadow and there are two wild horses with it. So now you have three horses and the young wild horses with them. You are so lucky. And the father says, well, I didn't know where they, we were lucky or not when we lost the horse. I don't know if we are lucky or not that we now have three horses, but we'll take them. And then a few days later, again, another neighbor runs and says, such a horrible thing. Your son was riding the wild horse. It fell off the horse and is injured there in the field. The father says, I don't know. Is it a bad or good thing? But he brought in the son and took care of him the best he could. I think that's an important part. He did do everything he could to relieve the pain of his son. But how do I know? He says. Uh, and then a few days later, another news coming into the village that there is a war and young people have to go to fight in a battle nearby. And the villagers say, you're so lucky your son has broken leg and can't go. And I guess life goes on and on and on and things are happening, terrible things and lucky things, they appear so. And I guess this teaching are saying that we need to do what we need to do at the moment, but we don't have to look at things as a disaster or end of the world when things are not going the way we would like and the other way around. If lucky things happen, you don't know what's the outcome at the end. There is no end. You, any outcome is a temporary outcome. So thinking of this war and this parable, and I don't know if this is a spiritual bypassing on my side or not, but I was thinking of... Uh, how um, unified Ukrainian people became. Uh, they had many political parties that were fiercely fighting with each other before the war. And they now united together. They are very selflessly fighting. One uh, uh, quote I remember recently from a short video, a, a reporter was asking a, a soldier in Ukraine, uh, the question was, aren't you scared to die? Are you afraid to be killed? And he said, no, I'm not afraid to be killed because if I'm killed, I'm dead. Nothing to worry about then. Uh, worrying is for those who stay alive. And so that united people, Ukrainians seem to fight with, without any doubts. Uh, and it united the world too. It looks like never ever before in human history, this many people came together to, to solve a huge problem for the humanity. Did you see that uh, uh, both part, 
U.S. Congress. I, for many years, I haven't seen both parties stand up in ovation simultaneously. And willingness, yeah, the, 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 the sanctions are causing a lot of economic hardship for the rest of the world, too. Prices of gasoline, for example. And, and looking at the uh, uh, censuses, the, the, the people are willing to pay higher prices, but demand their governments to stop buying Russian oil. I think that's unheard of as well. When people are pushing their government, realizing that their life will be more expensive, pushing their governments in, in, in U.S., I think the polls show like 70% are demanding to stop buying. Well, U.S. already stopped, but willing to pay higher prices. And I remember that after the World War II, uh, nations got together and formed the United Nations Organization to take care of the world in some unified manner. Then later, uh, European Union was formed out of realization that they are very interconnected. Their economies are interconnected. They have to coordinate with each other economic decisions, the money, right? That's, that's, that's enlightened society view. They have tons of problems there, of course, but that's the enlightened society realization how interconnected, interdependent we are. And so I'm hoping that after this crisis is over, there will be another big step for the humanity to build mechanisms to, to prevent this in the future. I think I'll stop here. I'm sure there is a lot to say and share. People that can have might have questions and doubts and so forth. I don't have any answers to the broader questions you asked. I was thinking about Chogyam Trungpa's journey from Tibet to India and how I believe he was accompanied by 300 some people and he commanded that nobody would kill any of the people chasing them, any of the Chinese who were chasing them or shooting at them, and to not kill anyone's animals to eat. And therefore, there were many people who were shot and killed and who also starved to death. And I don't know what I think of that. I've thought of that. Um, I've, I've thought of that point of, of his uh, escape from Tibet during this time of Russia and Ukraine, and yet I know that it, there's a big part of me that supports the resistance to what's happening in Ukraine. So it's a big question for me, thinking about um, that part of his life. And I don't know if his opinion on any of that would, you know, changed once the Shambhala Terma really came down to him and the teachings on worship came through, though I know it was a, you know, personal spiritual worship. So I just something to put out there. It's something that I contemplate, and I don't know if anyone else has something they would say about that. Thank you. Thank you, Gabriel. I, I have no comment on that. Yeah, thank you for your observation. Well, let's move to Ed. Uh, hi. Vegan, thank you so much uh, for your thoughts, which... Uh, each and every one of them uh, are in my heart and mind, and uh, I appreciate your honesty. Um, I want to add a slightly different perspective, and that is the fact that I'm a Vietnam-era veteran. So uh, it was wartime, uh, and uh, we had a draft, as you may recall, where you didn't really have much choice unless you wanted to flee the country. But I chose to... Uh, to enlist in the Navy, to join the Navy. And um, the point is, is that um, even of those of us who were in the military at the time, we really did not want to do this. It was, for whatever reason, we, we, were, we were part uh, of a machine. And again, I'm looking back years and years and years. We were part of a machine and that was our duty. Um, and I've, I've, in a sense, regretted or um, not been satisfied with my decision at that time. I have been transformed by the events of the last month. 
totally transformed. There are bullies. There are bad, I know we can't say a bad person, there are bad actions performed. And there is nothing correct about letting that continue. There's absolutely nothing Buddhist about not doing everything you can to stop the suffering. So um, Shogun Trumpa might have given some instructions to his fleeing colleagues, but uh, I, I'm going to vote for uh, stopping someone from pressing the nuclear button. Uh, no, no, no human being has a right to do what we are witnessing on television every night. Um, and, uh, I don't think that's spiritual bypassing in any way, shape or form. The, um, about killing, uh, I, I never killed anyone. I was never near that, but I understand that the Sioux, uh, Sioux people, before they would kill a bison, would pray to it and thank it for the life that it was going to give them and the shelter they were uh, going to get from its skin. We're, and we we are we are part of the world. Uh, we see the law of the jungle enact itself out every day, and that is the world that we're in. So uh, I think the advice or the suggestion that we do this without aggression, uh, maybe even think of uh, Arjun Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita. Who, who acts as a warrior out of duty. Uh, it, and, and that's a truth I believe that I, I had, um, I had discarded or I hadn't really taken to heart, uh, as I do now. Ed, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, for your comments as uh, somebody who participated in war. And I do have a question. You might be the only one here who can answer that. If you are on a battlefield and you have the enemy in your sight, how, what are the at least options? How do re, in real situation people feel uh, when they had to have to push a button? Shoot. You don't have an option. You, you, you are taught from the instant you are inducted into military service to obey orders. The, the idea of optionality or free choice is not there. You you do what you're told to do. And I, that is one thing that has always bothered me, that uh, I surrendered my free will. But, you know, goddamn, uh, I, you know, when when I, I go to the example that you gave of the of the twenty year old Ukrainian soldier who's got a javelin on his shoulder, and he's told by his regardless of how he feels, even if he's a Buddhist, fire that and blow up the tank and kill those four or five human beings. Uh, I I I do believe that is that's consistent with with the dharma and, and and the reason i can say that is because we 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 have been studying the dharma and as you say as as shambhalians we we have learned to develop a confidence in in the dharma in in the dharma being able to manifest itself through our actions and you 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 react to the present situation, what's called for. And again, this present situation is so black and white, so black and white, that from an intellectual uh, or emotional perspective makes it, makes it uh, um, um, inevitable. Thank you. Um, so... Ed, yeah, I, I totally agree that this is a black and white, per my personal opinion. It is totally black and white. And even interestingly, maybe even shockingly, when I watch these uh, uh, burnt tanks, or even the, there, were, there are quite a few videos when you see it in action, when somebody shoots and the tank blows up. And 
and the soldiers, Ukrainian soldiers, have that happy moment of success. Yes, it's a give me five moments. I, watching that, also rejoice as a success. This is like watching a movie. When we watch the movies and good guys kill the bad guys, there is a sense of success. Yes, right? And here, these are real people. and That's what I feel. And I think if I was there, I would happily shoot those guns and do whatever it takes and drop the bombs or whatever. Um, the question to you is, uh, is very, very specific. You are taking, you made the decision, you are shooting, no, no, no doubts there. But when you know that right now you are about to kill a person, right, this instant, is there a chance to have that thought that, okay, I'm killing a person, I'm wishing that person to have a good rebirth, for example. <laughs> you, are, you hit the button while you're, you're, uh, the, the javelin missile flies. You think, okay, you're about to die and I wish you a good rebirth. Is there a chance? Or in the worst situation, it's impossible. I would say there is a chance and I would say it's only because I'm a Buddhist. And I never would have thought of uh, reacting in uh, a non-joyful uh, reaction uh, prior to studying the Dharma. And even from a superficial point of view, you can, you can say, I did what I was supposed to do. And I mean, kind of like when you're at work and you, and you achieve a goal, when you say, ah, that's done. And it, what, 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 whoops, what should have been done, uh, was done. Um, so, but, uh, to, to continue the rejoicing after you realize that what, what, what has happened is, is so, so sad then maybe as a Buddhist, we would stop with the rejoicing and go on go on to the next tank, if that's what's called for. So it's possible, but uh takes work. Thank you, Ed. Um, good evening. Thank you for being here. Thank you, everyone. I've been thinking about Pema Chodron's teaching on don't bite the hook um, <laughs> because I'm getting hooked a lot by listening to the news and uh, I just uh, appreciate having a chance to look at this material. Um, and I'm also reminded, I'm a storyteller and a musician and I was reminded of, I've done a lot of work with the, the story Exodus over the years for Easter vigils in churches. And one of the Midrash uh, stories that come out, comes out of Jewish culture is that when Miriam was celebrating with the tambourine and leading people in song and um, celebrating the fact that the, the Egyptians had drowned, there's a Jewish folklore story that has God saying to them, what are you doing? Why are you celebrating this? You have, this is, this is your, that's not right to do. Do not celebrate that they drowned. <laughs> so just want to put that in the pot. <laughs> and one, one last thing is, is that in this, in the, that work around Exodus, Miriam and the work that I've done with her, she talks about how the Israelites became visible in that moment when they left Egypt and when they crossed uh, in that dry land. And I feel the same for the Ukraine people, that they have become visible to us in in so many ways. That's all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Angela. So someone in the room? Uh, thank you for your talk and uh, all the questions that you brought up. Um, I have thought about many of those myself, and I have my own, you know, and uh, I think, I'm not sure if there's, there's going to be a direct point to what I want to say, but I guess it's just uh, kind of speaking about uh, experiencing all this from, I guess, the, the safety of being so far removed from it all, and really 
observing it all uh, online for the most part, right? And um, just this uh, this whole thing unfolding online and and the nature of the online environment where people everyone has an opinion or a thought about everything, and uh, so for me it's like. Is, is everyone able to hear me? Go ahead. Okay, all right. Um, I guess, uh, you know, there's, there's people that will call me out and say, oh, like, you know, you're part of this movement that cares because it's white people against white people. And what about, you know, Palestine and, and all these other places that are, that are at war right now in the world? And, and you know, and then there's other people that will say, uh, you know, you're you're actually don't you're in your own bubble of propaganda, and there's other bubbles of propaganda, and you know the United States is a big part in how this all happened, and the United States is being very um, hypocritical in in the stance too, and so it's like you, you have all these different views, right? And we're in this world of okay, you know that's fake news and this is fake news and everything and everyone just uses that now that's fake news so it's like you get to a place where it's like there's so much doubt in what you see and what you hear and how do you find your your ground um, you obviously obviously see images of people suffering and, and they're horrible and, and you want to do something right and and yes of course there's people suffering in, in in Palestine and in other places in the world but there's something about this that also feels so existential to, and that's all about our ego, right? Like, this could be nuclear war on the end of the whole planet, you know. And um, so, I, I guess it's it's free to free. It's, that's that's the challenge here is to, you know, there's obviously something in my core that this is this is affecting and it feels wrong and, and I feel like I want to say something, but yet, is there a hubris to what I'm saying? Like, you know, that I'm so righteous in my view, you know. Yeah, thank you. You you brought up a few very important points. One was, and I thought about that too these days. One was that um, this war happens in the middle of Europe, and Ukrainians are uh, white-colored, blue-eyed, and that probably caused one of the reasons why it is so up in the media and world talks about it and it's united. If this war was happening somewhere else, very likely it wouldn't be so perceived by the whole globe so outrageous. That's very unfortunate, of course. Unfair, definitely. Another thought you expressed uh, was about bubble, uh, media bubble. I'm talking to my Russian friends every day, exchanging messages. And this is a real tragedy in Russia too, in a way that I think about 70% of population is in that Russian bubble who genuinely, honestly believe that uh, Russia was facing big... Um, um, risks if they didn't do this. They genuinely are behind Putin. He's saving Russia from being destroyed by the West. I can go on and on how, what exactly they think. Uh, but, uh, and, and many of them are very decent people and in their lives, it's just there is this model of the world that was for them and they think that they are actually saving the world from the horrors that Americans are trying to cause. And there are about 10% of people who traveled a lot and know, have, in my opinion, again, objective view, feel horrible that their country does this thing, and they feel horrible that most people around them don't see it that way that it is dangerous for them to even express that thought. There are many people who escape Russia. Uh, I grew up in Armenia, was part of Soviet Union. In the last few weeks, there were 50,000 Russians who came to Armenia alone. Armenia is a small country. It's a, it's a huge number for Armenia. 
So they're all over capital now. Uh, so they run away. And there are many interviews with these people that they are crying. They feel very guilty. They say, we feel so guilty to Ukrainians, we can't even ask for apology. Uh, so there is this strategy for that 10%. Um, there are 20% in between who say, yes, we shouldn't start the war, but it, but it was unfair for NATO to move forward into the East either. It's complicated, yes. The bubbles exist. It's complicated. That's the reality. And media, yeah, the, the bad thing over the last six years, I keep thinking how powerful media is in the U.S., how big, what a big mess media created in the U.S., right? Splitting U.S. population. Uh, that's something I think, I hope, that part of the outcome of this war will be some mechanisms to control uh, media to be reasonable, to, to not to manipulate people as easily as they do. I don't know how it's complicated. Freedom of speech is freedom of speech. And Thank you. I wanted to comment on what we were talking about as Buddhists in terms of nonviolence and violence. And um, the first thing that I wanted to comment on was that when we do Tanglen, when we practice compassion, we should remember everybody, not just the Ukrainians who are suffering and whose lives have been disrupted and who are being killed indiscriminately. And, you know, I think that we also need to practice compassion for the Russian soldiers, most of whom are young and probably scared, <laughs> very scared and not even sure about their mission. And um, for all involved, there's a lot of suffering go around and I think it's important to have to practice compassion for all who are suffering from this um, and I really feel like the Russian soldiers should be kept in mind too uh, in terms of the you know Ed it was very interesting because Ed is a veteran and has actually been in combat and um, I don't know how many of you have went to encampment no I've, I've, I've never been in combat Oh, you weren't in combat, but you were drafted and you were a soldier. <laughs> you were in boot camp. <laughs> um, I don't know if any of you have been to encampment when they were held with Vidyadara, but we would reenact battles. And um, it was an extraordinary experience to feel what it was like in the heat of a battle. And even though we were using paint, it still felt so scary and so um, this feeling of impulse is so strong it's very hard to stay cool so that idea of victory over war in the kasang practice is so important because um when you're in the heat of a battle even though it was a mock battles we were doing like sort of like good militia in the mountains of colorado um the uh the sense of impulse is very very strong and the sense of losing it is strong so that's where i think um in in this case we think about war right what is war why are we practice why why war well the thing is with ukraine there's an actual war there's no choice you know they were attacked first and there is a war going on there's no question about not fighting back if they can um in terms of what skillful means are you know i feel that unfortunately it's a war so you fight. And um, there's this feeling that this is some kind of legendary mythical war between good and bad going on. And that's kind of how the media is presenting it. And that, you know, it's the war, but war for the, for the fate of the world between author authoritarianism and sense of freedom from democracy. That's the feeling that's being presented. And I think that from what I can gather that, you know, vegan probably knows more than I, but it feels true. That is what's going on politically. There's, um, you know, many countries that have authoritarianism. You can't breathe. It's totally claustrophobic, but at the same time, it feels safe to a lot of the people that, that live in those wars. This whole thing about denazifying Ukraine is to me very telling because 
most of the time when you're dealing with Nazi groups, whether it's in um, Europe or the United States, that's a matter of intelligence, not a matter of bombing indiscriminately everywhere. And the last thing I wanted to say is that yes, Ukrainians look familiar. They look like they're from our culture. They're blonde, blue-eyed. They also have a very long history of racism and uh, millions and millions of Jews left the Ukraine, including my relatives. My father was born there uh, because it was a very racist place. And now, uh, you know, there've been the stories of, of many, many people of color not being given the same treatment at the border of Poland. And, you know, if they wanna join the European Union, they better get used to having people of color in their country, because if you go anywhere else, if you go to Germany, if you go to France, if you go to Sweden, it's full of people who are either workers or people from the colonies or whatever, it's full. That's what Europe is nowadays. And um, and I feel that that's just probably even more than Russia because Europe is so, you know, Ukraine is basically got at least one foot in Europe, if not two. But to go back full circle, there's, you know, without going into the detail, just the broad strokes, um, we don't know how this is going to end. We don't know how this is going to turn out. We don't know if Russia is going to just completely destroy the whole country till it's just gone. We may be watching on TV country being completely decimated and destroyed. I mean, we may be watching that. I feel that it's important for us to practice compassion for everyone involved, even all the way up to Putin. It's, that's to me, Buddhist thing to do. Thank you, Rachel, thank you. Ella, do you want to say something? Sorry if I'm putting you on the spot, but you're from Ukraine originally. That's why I'm trying to be silent, <laughs> because I'm not objective. But I, I can say something and uh, kind of hard to restrain yourself and your country is, like Rachel said, might be disappearing. So um, I appreciate our Buddhist compassion and doing Tongan for Russians and Putin. Actually, it's not Russians, it's Putin. But I think it's a little premature and we are a little Russian because uh, we need to be the Spain first. We need to kill the enemy and then forgive. Because when you, when we are a warrior, we live in present moment. And when we try to protect our country and we think about compassion, we can't be in the present moment. We need to kill our enemy and then be compassionate so i feel like it's it's can weaken warrior if it stay in the uh, war and protecting their families and they thinking oh i, I better do little tongland here and there i think it would weaken lungta so um and also i want to say that you know like when when people say black lives matter and other people say Everybody's life matter. White people life matter. That's how it sounds to me <laughs> when we say, yeah, Ukrainians, let's feel compassion to them. But Russians are, you know, we need to, we need to take care of them too. It is not time for that right now. So that's my very not objective, passionate opinion. <laughs> I'm sorry for that. Probably I would agree that on the battlefield you need your all your energy to focus on the fight but i'm not so sure that uh, you can't think somewhere in between that these russians are victims of the war as well they totally are victims and i feel compassion to them but it's like it's all kind of together you know it's like it's a little bit like we're afraid to feel and feel discomfort sometimes. I'm afraid to feel, to feel rage, to feel that, you know, it's just kind of bypassing for me. Just to, yeah, we're all good, we're all good. Yes, we're all good. But there are moments that we can actually say 
that it's actually really black situation right now. Thank you. I'm, I'm calling from Halifax. Um, I'm probably gonna get way in over my head here, but um, as I was listening to the recent discussion about compassion versus action, I found myself feeling uncomfortable. And then I, I realized what it was is that I don't think it's either or. I think it's both at once. And it's because I think this compassion, Buddhist compassion or warrior's compassion is, is very, very vast. And it's not just like liking someone. It's not just, a, you know, having kindness for someone's immediate suffering. I think it's like this, I mean, the Vidyadra, I guess, is what, who comes to mind, who had this remarkable big heart and big mind, but it didn't mean he wasn't fierce. And, and it didn't mean that sometimes he was absolutely terrifying, often terrifying. And he did say those things about enemy sometimes has to be destroyed. But I think the heart of compassion or the being, the I don't even know how to say it, but I think that is always there in the practitioner. But I don't know. I've never been a soldier with a gun. Um, but this is what I somehow think must be true. Does this make any sense? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, I don't know nothing to add here. Vegan, thank you and everyone for this. This is really wonderful. And it's so good to think about all the different dimensions of this. And I, I discuss this with my Russian wife nightly. <laughs> and, you know, and um, uh, there's so many causes and conditions, you know, and I'm, I'm with everybody else. To me, this is black and white, you know, but uh, and I wish I were alone with Putin with a gun. But um, you know, I, there's a really great article by Otto Scharmer who talks about his, you know, his theory U framework for societal growth, let's say. And, you know, he talks about the things that the Bush administration did that exacerbated the problem. And he also paints the same picture that I think of about Putin as being so isolated, paranoid, you know, and psychopathic. And to me, all this just sort of says that even having some vision of enlightened society is just so valuable for the world. I mean, I, I can't imagine that if somebody, if somebody lived even for 10 minutes in a society that were genuinely enlightened and they were a meditator, they couldn't possibly commit these atrocities. And they might do really bad things, but not on the scale that he's doing. So to me, this says to just, you know, helping more and more people learn to meditate and therefore get in touch with their basic goodness really is a very, very noble and really necessary ambition. And also, I just want to thank you that you know, many good things could come out of this. I mean, maybe this will be the dissolution of the, you know, the post-Soviet society and the you know, repressive regime. I mean, wouldn't that be great? But anyway, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Uh, I was thinking of that even before the war started, that I was thinking that Putin realizes probably that if he starts the war, it will destroy Russia as it was eventually. But that's what I still think is happening, and that maybe what you just said will happen. But we'll say, I think the huge problem are the 70% of Russians that genuinely, honestly believe that in the last 30 years since Soviet Union fell apart, Russia was uh, humiliated by the West, was not treated properly. They think of Russia being a world power. And uh, Putin is bringing that back, in their opinion, to restore the harmony of the world when Russia is just as important world power as the United States. That's the 
right way to for the globe to exist in their minds and um, it's very deep it goes through parents that's that's the mindset that we are the world power and we have to fight until we restore the 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 proper state of the affairs in the world you can replace putin but it will take a long time to replace that mindset um I was reminded of Joseph Conrad's novel Under Western Eyes, where he he spoke of the Russian personality. Um, he was a he was a pole living in London, and he wrote in English in a in a language that he learned. But the dream of of empire has been around in Russia for a long time, but isn't that just a what we as Buddhists would consider a habitual pattern that 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 is not uh, not accurate reality um but the, the the only point i wanted to make was uh it was um certainly when 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 ella spoke i think you said you need to kill the enemy and then be compassionate to them but i think vegan and rachel and one other lady who spoke afterwards said no they have to be simultaneous and i think that's that's what we try to do as Buddhists is 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 to bring compassion to every action and e- even if the action involves violence it doesn't necessarily have to be aggressive uh, and I go back to um, what I said about the Sioux um, how about a fisherman who puts the puts the salmon on your table the the the, the uh, there was there was a sentient being that no longer has its life but you you are you are you you are surviving because of, of the nutrition you get from that and it's tough and but it's the heart it goes right to the heart of what it means to be a Buddhist and that's why we're on the path. Thank you, Ed. Thank, thank you, Vegan, for helping us every morning at 8 o'clock, my time. I, I, I see you, and I'm glad to see you. I have two things. One is there's a story, and I, I don't remember all the parts of it, but there's a, a pirate or something like that on the ship full of people, and he's going to kill all the people on the ship. And the Buddha or someone else kills him and kills him out of compassion. So he doesn't take on the karma of killing all those people. What I look at that and I look at what Ella's saying and I feel the anger. I, you know, it's such, for me, it's black and white. It's a horrible situation. And I feel that anger and I can't imagine feeling compassion while you're killing someone. But, you know, I'm not that developed, so I don't know. The second part that I wanted to say is, you know, I just realized when we do Tong Len every morning, we give them happiness, we give them comfort, we give them white light. But maybe that's not what it will do. Maybe the Tong Len will have an, there will be another solution. There will be another end to it. It might not be a bad end, but it might be something that we can't see. I just want to throw those two ideas out. Thank you. Thank you, Jill. Uh, For for everyone, I just want to mention that uh, when Jill said eight o'clock in the morning, that must be uh, California time. Uh, Eastern time is 11. Uh, We have this... uh, a global Shambhala Tonglen practice. If somebody doesn't know, uh, Bobby will put the link in the chat for everyone in a second. So every morning, please uh, join 11 Eastern time. We do Tonglen and some Ukrainians join there and share their experience every day, what happens day by day, and we have some discussion there about the reality. Uh, also on the website that uh, Bobby will put in chat, uh, at the end of that page, uh, there is a list of charities that uh, Ella Resnikova actually put together, I believe. Uh, and one of them is the 
charity, it's under Karma Choling's name, is for our uh, Shambhala, uh, our Sangha members in uh, Ukraine. There is one of the charities for to help the families of our Sangha. That one we are personally dealing with. One thing feels um, so real is the loss of innocence, not only the wounded children, but for everyone who has a belief in some form of freedom or, or another. And I hope I understand Zelensky, right, that there would always be a, a referendum if things got really bad uh, for the um, for the people to make the decision to continue fighting. That seems important. But I thought perhaps you might appreciate a story that I've never had the occasion to tell, that uh, conversation with Trump Rinpoche in the early 70s. Uh, it was a community talk, and I don't know what led to it, but uh, Rinpoche described um, the Christians in the arena that were about to be eaten by the lions. So I raised my hand and I said that it was the Romans who had thrown the Christians to the lions. And what he answered has always stayed with me and stayed with me in some form of, of uh, basic truth. He said it was the arrogance. And in some way, I just thought you might appreciate this story um, in whatever way it comes to you. I, I feel like we all want to pretend that we're on the good side with the Ukrainians, but with all that death, it's what I feel is the loss of innocence and all that death. And um, what the answer is, I don't know, but I hope you understand what he had told me that day so, so very long ago. And uh, I just send you love and kindness and compassion. And uh, I only watch <laughs> um, Deutsche Villa and listen to the BBC and it's still awful enough. And um, thank you. So let's, uh, uh, Rachel looks like the, the last uh, person will let Rachel speak and then we'll close. Um, just that what you were speaking of, Vegan, about Russian people you're speaking with, um, this idea that Russia was a great power and that now it's um, fallen you know, down in some ways. And that's, to me, that's very similar manipulation of how the Trump campaigns went of make America great again. It's almost the same because Russia was a great power and just this weird great you know i mean there was nothing really uh russia was already considered one of the largest and greatest countries in the world already and sure you know maybe he wanted to bring back the soviet union but that was just a bunch of countries all sort of sewn together many of whom didn't want to be there anyway as they demonstrated when it all fell apart so to me it's again more of a media manipulation of saying that a country isn't great when it's absolutely fine. And um, again, now I, I see that Russia is probably going to go through a similar split that we've been going through of uh, some people who believe the media and others who are a little more awake about things. Um, anyway, I do want to thank everybody. This has been a really fantastic uh, gathering vegan. Thank you so much. And um, so many comments were so, you know, it's it just a very scintillating conversation. And you can see how this has caught the imagination and caught the hearts of the whole world. Thank you, Rachel. And by the way, yeah, there were many comments, but I wasn't able to read them. I'll read them after this. If, if there was something important for me to read, well, we, I apologize that I didn't respond to any of that. Um, 
Yeah, thank you everyone for, for joining, for caring for this. Um, and going back to the topic, let's wish that the flow of, sub, flow of war uh, comes to tapers off and there is less and less suffering every day and there is a, a good outcome for the world out of this, for everyone involved. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, we invite you to leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Shambhala NYC also offers a variety of meditation courses for meditators of all levels. Check out our upcoming programs at shambhalanyc.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.